believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And in this story, there was great grief. This book, chapter one, is grief and sorrow. We remember that from a few weeks ago. It's sorrow. Ten years, you lose your husband and both your boys. Ladies, that's, that's as deep as the knife of sorrow can cut in a woman's heart. And yet these daughter-in-laws were so close to their mother-in-law, and they clung to her, and she said, no, no, I'm going back to Bethlehem because I heard there's food there, and I got to go reboot my life. And of course, when they left, they sold their land, their property, their, their possessions, her and her husband had sold all that. So she's going back to where she used to live. They no longer have the house. They no longer have the property. And she's going back in bitterness. Ruth, one of the two daughter-in-laws, refused to stay in Moab, but chose to go with her. Remember what she said? Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. That she was all in with Jehovah and the Israelites and the people of covenant. She left her friends, her family, her her peer group from high school, if you will, everything she knew, the gods of Moab, including Chamosh, the bully god, she left all that to go with her mother-in-law to the land of Israel, who had been perpetual enemies of the highest order to the Moabites, because the, the feeling of animosity was mutual between the Moabites and the Israelites. They were perpetually at war. And it's in that background that she goes back Naomi comes back to town. Everyone's so happy to see her. She's 10 years older, and she has the face of grief and sorrow. But they're all happy to see her. And she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has dealt bitterly with me. Then in chapter 2, there, Ruth is with Naomi, and they're, they're poor. They're at the lowest entry level of society. They're rebooting the whole thing. It's like when you go home and you got nothing, you got to live with your parents, you don't have a job, you don't have income. It, it's just, it, they're at the lowest place possible and they got to walk past where they used to live and what they used to own in that process. It's, it's, it's a very low point. But in God's economy and in his law, he had provision for the poor. And the provision for the poor in Israel is that when people glean the fields, they can only glean their field once, so you can come in behind them and get whatever's left over. It was his social aid program for his people. And it was a good thing. It was in the law of God, so it was in the word of God. And as that background, we saw Ruth go out into the field and glean, and as she asked for favor in the eyes of Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi, and she found favor from Boaz, and then she asked for more favor from Boaz, and Boaz said, don't go on any other field, glean from this field. And Naomi said, this is a great thing, and she blessed the Lord. So the end of chapter 2 is Naomi's blessing the Lord, when the end of chapter 1 she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. So we see the upgrade she got from Boaz elevating everybody and how that played out. So if it's a four, four episodes of this incredible story of 
God's plans and purposes, we are now on episode three, chapter three. It is that background that we now read this. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing the barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice a place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you said to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and he turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman, a woman of character. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. And lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. And then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. That's to the other workers with him. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. This is what he spoke to Ruth. And when she held it, he measured six portions of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six portions of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then Naomi said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he's concluded the matter this day. It's great. It's a great chapter. I mean, episode three leaves you hanging. I can't wait to get to chapter four next week. I've already taught this once this week on Tuesday night. Such a profound chapter in the Bible. Such an amazing story. It's so easy to go right past this off-ramp on your journey through the Bible. What an amazing story. As I've thought about this chapter all week, and specifically even after teaching it Tuesday, because when I go from verse by verse to topical, I try and go from various topics to one key topic. You know, kind of shape the clay on the wheel. And what's really our topic? And what really are the points within the text for the topic? This is a tricky chapter for that. I mean, it's like finger painting all over the wall. It's beautiful. It's a mosaic. It's got all these things going on. It's got layers like the whole book. Well, as I considered and meditated on this chapter, I really came down to this key thought, divine destiny. This book is a story of divine destiny. 
And this chapter is yet another apex in the divine destiny of God's plan for this, at first sight, unlikely couple to come together as a man and a woman in the union of marriage and to produce offspring from which Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will come. A Moabite woman, a generation younger, with an Israelite man, a generation older, a godly man, a good man, a man who honors the Lord and blesses the Lord, and a Moabite woman, a Gentile, from a faraway land of a formerly an enemy people, all in to be with whatever the plan is that Jehovah, God of the burning bush, Mount Sinai, has for her, and what God has for her in her commitment to her mother-in-law to bless her mother-in-law. And even Naomi, who's sort of best supporting actress in this story, because it really is about Ruth, there's some special detail to her, not just in this book, but in this chapter. There are three key people in this chapter. Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi. And their lives are connected on a pretty much a 12-hour window from maybe 6 in the evening to 6 in the morning, or maybe 9 in the evening till 9 in the morning. And as we talked about last week, they're in the context of just serving the Lord. Just in the context of serving the Lord, Boaz is out in the field. He pronounces blessings upon his workers when he shows up to work. They pronounce blessings back on him. He's a great guy to work for. You want him to be your boss. And it's in that field that Ruth shows up according to the law of God to rightfully glean from the field according to God's word. And in that background of God's word, their relationship happened. And they had eye contact. And they had conversation. And there's a relationship now between Boaz, who we call the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, and this Moabite woman, the widow of one of his relatives in the field. And Naomi's the link to this story. And we talked about how that conversation took place. And in all the universe, and in all the people on planet Earth, it is these two people. It is this man, Boaz, who stood faithful in the land during a famine and built this business, a business that employed other people in a difficult time. It is this man who's been born at this time and whose heart toward the Lord is proven at this time, who would seem never married because there's no mention of another woman or other children or any heirs. This man, Paul said in Acts 17 that God predetermines when we'll be born, where we'll be born, and the timeline of our life. All of our lives really are destiny and opportunity according to God's decree. But this man, from the time of judges, he's not a judge. He comes to that day in chapter 2. And this woman, with all those promises like Abraham, in you all nations will be blessed, she's one of those nations. She comes from a whole other background, and she lives at this time. But he lived 20 years in front of her, probably 55 and 35, probably our age distinction. And she comes into the field. He's the man of wealth and power and esteem. She's the woman at the lowest entry point of society doing the one job that's the first job you can do in any country when you're a foreigner and you just got here and it's a job no one wants to do, if you will, the lowest point of society. And she comes here and he comes there and they have the conversation 
And then before we get to the story of chapter 3, there would have been probably a month or a month and a half between the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. So daily she's in the field. Daily he's showing up. The employees, the Lord bless you, bless you. She's seen how this man operates, how he carries himself, how he treats people. And he sees how she's working for her mother-in-law. How she's working with the other young ladies that work for him. Now know this, Boaz could have probably married anyone in Israel at this time. You know, of movies and songs about rich older men marrying younger women, there's no shortages. I mean, Marilyn Monroe's most famous movie is How to Marry a Millionaire, right? Like, that's, this is famous. That's the American way. So he has the place to provide security for a woman. I mean, what does Naomi say in chapter, the first verse? I want to get you security. This man can provide you security. And some women will give up young love and romance and all these things to marry into wealth. Of movies of that happening in different societies in American culture movies, there's no shortage of those movies either. Who can forget you older people fiddler on the roof? Where the young guy and the young girl, the two Jewish people, they love each other, but the parents want him to marry, her to marry the butcher, right? The butcher's the older man, but he can provide security. One of the most famous movies of all time, Fiddler on the Roof. These things, especially because it's a Jewish culture in Fiddler on the Roof, it gives an idea like how, how people think like this. It's important to the backdrop of this story. So as we come to chapter 3, Boaz is the goel. Now, he didn't, when he was conceived in the womb, he didn't determine like what family he's born into, what land he inherits. It's really Jeremiah 1, before I knew you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. God knows our destiny before we're born. The purpose of life is to enter into that salvation through Christ and fulfill that work he's created us for. We are his workmanship to become the work of art he wants us to be. That's what Boaz was. He couldn't determine that he lived around, you know, 1150 B.C., that he's Jewish and not Chinese or something else. He couldn't determine that. This is what he was, this was his purpose. God determined he'd be a Jewish man and shaped his character and who he was by his word. And he's the Goel. You can't just say, I want to be a Goel. Just like you couldn't just say, I want to be a Levite and serve in the priesthood. If you're a Levite, you're a Levite in the Old Testament. If you're not, you're not. If you're not a Kohathite, you're not carrying the Ark of the Covenant. If you're Marite, you need the carts and you carry the, the, the curtains and all that stuff that go to the tabernacle. It's God who determines what he wants us to be. And we should settle for nothing less than what we're meant to be and ascribe for nothing more because that's out of our lane. But to be fully who we're meant to be and to be comfortable in our own skin with who God's called us to be, that's the real purpose of life in the kingdom of God when we're born again in the Spirit. To be a Spirit-filled woman or man fulfilling the, the destiny of God in our life day by day. Weeks become months. Months become seasons. Seasons become years. Years become decades, and then you're in eternity. That's really what the upper call of God in Christ Jesus is. And Boaz, without choice, by his being born a male, being born a Jew, being born in Judah, being born in Bethlehem, he is the key. He is the Goel. Now, his Goel number two, which we'll get to next week more, he is the one that, according to God's word, again, God's word, not just the poor gleaning in the field, 
But he's the one that can redeem Ruth's land back to her. That can give Ruth offspring for an inheritance to come from her. He's the one, if someone murdered someone in the family, that he can go find that person, hold them accountable legally for that. There was responsibilities. You really are the, you know, those of you that have trust and, you know, beneficiaries and trustees and successor trustees, and you older people understand this, younger kids are going like, what's he talking about? Look, someone's in charge of the money. Someone's in charge of the wealth, and that is the executive trustee. And then you have subsequent trustees. The Goel essentially has almost a power of attorney, trustee type of power to represent the family in God's economy and God's law to go get that land back, to buy that house, that property back for Ruth. Whoever Amalek sold it to as the Goel, he has the right to buy it back because it was God's inheritance to that family. And he also, also in the law, that there'd be offspring to receive the inheritance. There's the whole stipulation where if a brother dies and has no children, then another brother takes the wife and provides children for her, that the inheritance continues for that line of the family. That this is hard to understand is without a doubt, because the Sadducees came to Jesus in the Gospels and said, hey, when they try to catch Jesus in a trap, we all remember the Sadducees. Uh, hey, you know, a man has a wife and he dies and, and then uh, he doesn't have any children, but the brother gets the wife and then he dies, no children. And then the other brother, the other brother, seven brothers, seven people had this woman as a wife. Whose wife is she in heaven? And remember what Jesus said. So he took the story of the Goel. Listen, the Sadducees took the story of the Goel and made a mockery of it. And they came to Jesus and said, hey, How's this work? And don't forget what he said. You are greatly mistaken, and you neither know the power of God or the things of God. He, one of the strongest rebukes he gives is to the Sadducees for taking something beautiful, the power of the Goel to raise offspring for the inheritance, which is hard for us to understand, but nonetheless, it's of the Lord, so accept it as a good thing. Because everything God does is good. And he knows it's a good thing. And he reproves them for it. And he says, in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like the angels. So he just took them to heaven. They're like, they're stuck on earth. They're Sadducees. Anything heavenly, Sadducees don't get it. That's why they're sad. You see, right? That's how it works. Like, they don't get it. They just are earthly. They're all about earthly doctrines, not heavenly doctrines. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection. So they had different, different things. But they got that one right. So Boaz is the Goel that is born with a destiny in this story. You see, for all the young men that might be handsome in Israel, or the young men that Ruth left behind in Moab that would have been interested in her, when she committed to be with the God of Israel and to be with the people of the God of Israel, and she committed to be there for Naomi no matter what came in her life, And because she was married to Naomi's son in her first marriage, she is the link. You see, she is the link for the redemption of the property. She is the link for the redemption of the inheritance. And for that to happen, if she's going going to serve her mother-in-law, I'm going to die by your side, she said in chapter 1. I'm with you forever. 
She wants to fulfill what would have been her place with her original husband under her father-in-law and her mother-in-law. She wants to still fulfill that even though they're all gone. And to do that, she must be yoked to the goel. She She must be willing to give up her life and her freedom to marry a handsome Moabite man or a handsome, a handsome Israelite man in Bethlehem. That she could have had any young man is quite clear when Boaz said, you'd show more kindness at the end than the beginning because you could have married any of these young guys, rich or poor, basically saying, you could have married anybody. When a man says to a woman, a generation beneath him, listen, you've shown great kindness, you, you could have married anybody in Bethlehem, rich or poor. What kindness you've shown me that you had married me. It's a powerful statement, what he says there. He declares she could have married anyone. So she didn't have to marry him for security. She could have married anyone else for security. That's what Boaz says in the Bible. So she's not just marrying him for security. She could have married anyone for security, according to Boaz's testimony. But... For the messianic line, because this is where it's going, to Jesus. Now, she wouldn't know this. Here's more backdrop. You know, in Genesis 49, Jacob prophesies about his 12 sons. Remember that prophecy? He speaks over Naphtali, Zebulun, all that. And what does he say about the tribe of Judah? He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. He prophesies around 2000 BC that from the tribe of Judah, the kings shall reign. And yet in the book of Judges for 300 years, have we seen anyone from Judah rise up and reign? No. Was Moses from Judah? No. Joseph in Egypt 400 years before? No. They've existed as a people of covenant under the Abrahamic covenant for 700 years from that prophecy and not one person has ever reigned over these people from the tribe and the family of Judah. And they've been in the land for 300 years. And with all those judges, not one has been from the tribe of Judah. And yet here, Boaz, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, he is from the tribe of Judah. This is where it all begins or extends. Because we'll see next week, it really begins with Judah himself back in Genesis 37. But 700 years of silence for the promise that Jesus would come, the redeemer of the world. That Jesus would come, who would redeem the world by his blood from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 5, yet to happen. Where the 24 elders sing in Revelation, you have redeemed us by your blood, representing the church. From this to that, and Jesus on the cross and risen in the middle, is this line of the Messiah. And is a story of redemption. And for 700 years, that promise of redemption, the kingly redemption coming, has been silent until this night when Boaz goes to sleep on the threshing floor and this Moabitess woman, the widow, comes in and lays at his feet. Isn't that amazing? Faith is the substance things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not going to come to pass. And just because there's no precedent doesn't mean it's not going to come to pass. The king's coming. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And he will establish his kingdom on earth. And there will be a time when there's no more tears and no more sorrow. 
because that's the full redemption. Because the goel, the real goel over the entire story, of course, is Jesus Christ. He redeems the universe. We're told in Romans 8, he will redeem the entire universe, which is under the law of entropy, which is the result of Adam and Eve's original sin and death. This universe is dying because of Adam introducing sin into this universe of time, space, and matter. And as you go a trillion galaxies out from where we're at at planet Earth, everything is dying while it's expanding. And Romans 8 tells us God's going to redeem it. And he tells us it's Earth that's dying, that he'll make a new heaven and a new Earth. He'll redeem the planet. And the ultimate redemption is the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve who become joint heirs with Christ, being adopted into the kingdom, Romans 8, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 5, singing, worthy is the lamb who's redeemed us by his blood. That is the bigger panoramic over this story of a man and a woman about 1150 BC. One, the man from Judah and the woman from Moab, a generation apart. Boaz's destiny is to be born a Jew, to be born of the tribe of Judah, be the first one of Judah to establish something that's going to happen and change the history of Israel and bring the king of the Jews to the Jews. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.